Hi there, thanks for joining us. This is The Green Room with Guildford Shakespeare Company. This podcast from the award-winning Guildford Shakespeare Company features chats with actors and members of the artistic teams, talks on Shakespeare's themes, interviews with leading figures, or might just catch up on a bit of backstage gossip. The Green Room with Guildford Shakespeare Company is your gateway to getting more from going to the theatre. In this special episode of The Green Room, Matt Pinches talks us through the plays leading up to Henry V, starting with Richard II. So what is happening, or what has happened, in the story of Henry V's life as the play opens? Well, to do that, we've got to go back in time, through history a little bit, and through Shakespeare's history plays. So, they weren't written in sequence, but... They begin with the play of Richard II. That's the start of Shakespeare's history cycle. And together, all of the plays, all eight of them, that's Richard II, Henry IV, V, the VI, and Richard III, all chart English history from 1399 up to 1485. Richard III finishes with the accession of Henry VII, the first Tudor monarch, and Queen Elizabeth's grandfather. So in the first part of these stories, we see the foundations for what becomes known as the Wars of the Roses, a family feud which erupted into a national civil war that pitted largely the houses of Lancaster against the houses of York. And it begins with King Edward III and his children. Richard II, who I mentioned a moment ago, the first play in Henry's uh, in, in Shakespeare's history cycle. Um, Richard was the son of Edward the Black Prince. Now, he was the son of King Edward III. However, in 1377, the Black Prince is killed in battle and followed a few months later by his father, the King. So, a 10-year-old Richard becomes King, Richard II. Now, it's important to say here that Edward III's children play a very important role in what happens next. Edward has seven children, including Edward the Black Prince. However, by the time Richard becomes king, only two of those brothers are alive. The Duke of York and the Duke of Lancaster. They are Richard's uncles. But they have children of their own, and those children have rightful claims to the English throne. And it is this argument that goes on to fuel the later Wars of the Roses. But for Shakespeare, his Historical soap opera, if you like, begins 21 years after Richard becomes king. So at this point, Richard II, at the opening of the play of Richard II, is 31 years old. He expels his cousin, Henry Bolingbroke, from England. And his reason for doing so is that Bolingbroke has accused Richard's other cousin, Mowbray, of murdering his uncle, the Duke of Gloucester, another of Edward III's children. Once banished, Richard II seizes Bolingbroke's land, much to his father's dismay. Now, his father is the Duke of Lancaster, John of Gaunt. And when the Duke dies of a broken heart, following his very famous This England speech, Richard also seizes his lands and monies too. Richard's excuse for doing this is to fund an already unpopular war with Ireland. And this is added to unpopular tax rises and the finding of the nobility for crimes of their ancestors. 
Naturally, of course, this does not go down well at all, and the nobles secretly begin to plot to bring Henry Bolingbroke back to England to overthrow Richard. Whilst in Ireland, Bolingbroke, uh, whilst, he- whilst Richard is in Ireland, Bolingbroke invades and wins over his other uncle, the Duke of York, who Richard has left in charge of the country. Bolingbroke crowns himself King Henry IV and has Richard imprisoned in, Pem- Pem- imprisoned in Pomfret Castle. During his incarceration, Richard is murdered by a nobleman who misinterprets Henry IV's words. And the play ends with Henry vowing to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land to atone for his sins against Richard. And that is the story of Richard II. So... Henry IV, part one, the next episode in Shakespeare's Claim of Thrones saga, if you like. Now, this opens a short time after the events of Richard II. Henry IV has not made it to the Holy Land because of threats of rebellion on his borders uh, with Wales and Scotland. To make matters worse, the Percy family are increasingly at odds with the crown. Why? Well, this goes back again to... Edward III's children. Richard II had nominated Edmund Mortimer, the Earl of March, to be his successor, and Mortimer was the great-grandson of the Duke of Clarence, a son of Edward III. At the centre of the Percy family is Harry Hotspur, who is everything that Henry IV's son is not. Henry IV's son goes by the name of Prince Hal and has forsaken the court and is spending his formative years in the taverns and brothels of East Cheap. His court there is lauded over by Sir John Falstaff and his cronies Pistol, Bardolph, Nim and Mistress Quickly. Following a recent skirmish with the Scots, Hotspur, meanwhile, does not give up uh, the prisoners he has captured to the king. And he further frustrates Henry with demands that Henry ransom his wife's brother Mortimer from the Welsh. The king threatens the Percy family and with that rebellion begins to brew. Events climax at the Battle of Shrewsbury where Prince Hal, reasserting his princely duties, kills Hotspur. The king executes Hotspur's father, the Earl of Worcester, and is reunited with his son. But... Unbeknown to the king, however, Mortimer has joined forces with the Welsh, who together have now been joined by the powerful Archbishop of York, and the stage is set for a mighty showdown in Henry IV, Part Two. Now, Henry IV, Part Two is uh, a little bit un- unlike Henry IV, Part One, because unlike Part One, which followed the political and historical fallout. Uh, from Richard II, part two focuses more on the on characters and the character in particular of Falstaff and his associates and the trajectory of Prince Hal's rise to becoming King Henry V. So despite the father-son reunion in part one, the king is sickening and but his son, Prince Hal, has returned to London lowlife and the petty crime world of Falstaff and friends. But when a second rebellion breaks out and the gang from Eastcheap make their way to enlist and press recruits in Gloucestershire, 
Prince Hal returns to his father. He misunderstands that his father hasn't actually died, um, and Prince Hal takes the crown from the sick man, assuming the role of king. But Henry IV, however, wakes up, and despite thinking the worst of his son, the pair are reunited before the king actually passes away. The second rebellion is quashed, and Hal is crowned Henry V, and in one of the most touching moments in the history plays Falstaff, who has hurried to London to see his surrogate son crowned, and also in the hope of preferment, no doubt, is turned away by the king with the dismissive, I know thee not, old man. And with that, Shakespeare marks a turning point in the story of England and the story of Henry V. And so the stage is set now for an untested young man to govern and lead. Henry V inherits a country that has been ravaged by rebellion, political intrigue for almost 15 years, continental powers are laughing at the mess the English have made of their monarchy, and all eyes are on, on what the 26-year-old King Henry will do next. And that is the story of Henry V. If you enjoyed The Green Room with GSC, we'd really appreciate it if you could drop us a like or a follow, depending on what platform you're using. These really help us get the word out there. If you'd like, recommend us to a friend or a relative. And do tune in next time. Thanks for listening.